0: Will you please make your way with me in your Bibles this morning once again to the Gospel according to Mark, the 6th chapter where we will be looking together at verses 45 through 52. Mark 6, 45 through 52, and you can find that passage on page 987 in your pew Bibles. As we continue to make our way steadily through the gospel according to Mark, you will remember that as the growing and somewhat wild speculations of the world as to the true identity of Jesus Christ begin to take shape, we could begin to see just a glimpse of the real foolishness of unbelief at play. The truth is the people had no place or what, they were wish- what they were witnessing. They needed to do something with this worker of supposed miracles, this teacher of strange, new, even weighty authority. His power was evident. It was manifest, and it was undeniable. And so they looked in vain, ways to deal with Jesus' revelation of himself without acknowledging that this was indeed God in flesh. Wild speculation, of course, abounds in that kind of situation. We know that some saw Jesus as a prophet of old. Some even thought they saw a vengeful and menacing ghost just not the Son of God. Anything but that. But Jesus continues to graciously reveal himself more and more to reveal his true identity despite the unbelief that so routinely surrounded him. He was in no way turned away or dissuaded from his mission. Jesus is continuing here in Mark's narrative to Graciously reveal himself more and more to these crowds that are continually gathering to him and around him and to reveal himself more and more even to his own disciples. And I think that one of the things that we have seen come into a bit of a, a sharper focus here as he's done that, is that the more of him that we see, the more of his immeasurable grace we begin to know. And experience. And we certainly saw that last week, right? One of the things that comes to the surface very quickly in this revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ is his compassion. We certainly saw that last week as these disciples returned from the work of spreading the message of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had been very busy healing the sick, And casting out demons in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of the great king. And as they gathered together with Jesus to tell him of all that they had done, of all that they they themselves had become witnesses of, Jesus, Jesus noticed that they were weary. They were tired. They were exhausted. And Mark tells us that they had even found it difficult to find time to set apart from the work of the kingdom to even take something to eat, let alone process all that they had been a part of. It was wearing them up. They were weary. And Jesus, we are told, having compassion on them, said to them, come aside to a deserted place and get some rest. Course, we saw that the rest that Jesus was pointing them towards was much, much more than just physical rest. He was going to reveal even more of himself to them, and in doing so, lead them to an even greater peace. He also displayed much of that same compassion towards these people who were flocking to him, even in this deserted place, this wilderness. They were waiting for him on the other side of the sea. And Jesus, not at all upset by the neediness of these people or even the interruption to the resting plan that he had set for his disciples, immediately became busy ministering and teaching these people throughout the entire day. As that day wore on, the disciples were the ones who came to Jesus and pointed out that the time was probably now at hand, send these people on their way back towards the cities before it was any later so that they might be able to find food and shelter for the night remember what Jesus said to them. Jesus knew the true needs of all of these people and the disciples were included in that number. And He knew their needs were far greater than just physical and material. What they needed most of all was to see They needed their blinders removed. So he sets the stage for all to see when Jesus tells the disciples, no, 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 you feed them. As they are gathered, Mark tells us, in the wilderness, divided into groups, on the green grass, it sounds very familiar if you read through the Old Testament, Jesus, the great shepherd, king of Israel, turns the meager provision of five loaves and two fish into a great wilderness feast. So much provision, in fact, that Mark tells us 12 basketfuls of leftovers were collected. The revelation grew even clearer. They we're taken back to the Old Testament the constant declaration that the people of God were in fact sheep without a shepherd. we were reminded of Moses' prayer that God would indeed provide a shepherd to lead his people. Of course, God gave them Joshua in the immediate context. However, one much greater than Joshua would come. We look back at the prophecy of the prophet Ezekiel, where God promised that indeed a great shepherd would in fact come from the line of David, and he would feed the sheep, he would care for the sheep, he would protect the sheep for eternity. The sheep would know peace and tranquility with the great promised shepherd, like they have never known. They would be safe even in the wilderness. And the wild beasts. Their fears would be alleviated, their sorrows would be called, their worries would be chased away. The earth itself would yield of its increase to them, and they would enjoy their fill. They would no longer be prey for the predators. They would live in peace with the great shepherd king. It was a beautiful picture, right? It is a beautiful picture. And here, in Mark, was the reality, or at least a partial fulfilling of that reality before them all, as the sheep are cared for, they are fed, they are protected in the wilderness by the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. And beloved, let us to consider that great shepherd, Psalm 124 is the promised shepherd so we will not want we will rest in him he makes us to lie down in green pastures truly our cups are full in fact they are running over with the mountains. Beloved, hopefully you see the tie not only here in Mark but you get the, point. the more of this revelation that we see through the God given eyes of faith the more amazing, wonderful, and matchless the grace of Almighty God becomes. So I ask you, as we prepare to dig in again, have you seen it so far? Do you know this Savior? Do you marvel at this extraordinary grace? Grace that so invades your life that it brings you to peace. Beloved, of course, I pray that we do. However, if you still have not, then the text before us this morning reveals even more of Jesus' glorious identity to us. And as has been the case all along, the more of that identity that we see, the more we will certainly stand in amazement at the grace that is revealed in the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as Mark shows us more of him in the text before us this morning, We're going to learn something that I think is of extreme value in the Christian life. This morning, Mark wants for us to see the grace of the hard providence of Almighty God. The grace of the hard providence of God. And beloved, again, we would do very well not only to see it, but to understand it and to praise God for it when we see it in our lives. So if you would... Please follow along with me now as I read from the holy, inerrant, and infallible word of Almighty God, Mark chapter 6. Again, picking up with verse 45 and reading through verse 52. Hear now the word of our Lord. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitudes away. When he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. They were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. They had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we're grateful for the opportunity that we have to come before your word together. We pray that you would clear our hearts and our minds of all of those things that distract us this morning. That we might give our undivided attention to your word, so that hearing your word, With ears of faith, we may be transformed by that word for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I know I sound like a broken record, but I fear that this morning will be one of those mornings where we are certainly not even going to come close to exhausting the depths of God's grace that I think are on display in this passage. It's always my hope to, at the very least, whet your appetite to peer even further into these things in your own time of meditation and study. That being said, I do hope to point out just a few things here as we make our way through this text. This large crowd, which we know consisted of, at the very least, 5,000 men, not counting women and children, has miraculously feasted in the wilderness with the great promised shepherd king. And Mark tells us they now begin to disperse. Mark says that Jesus immediately made his disciples get into the boat to cross over to Bethsaida before him. I think we should notice a couple of things here. It's interesting That Mark uses the word for immediately here. Did you notice that? There is a sense where we could say that Jesus is making haste here. He is hurrying the disciples on their way. He is sending them out into the sea alone. And he tells them he will catch up with them later on the other side. Why? Doesn't it seem a a, a bit strange? Why hurry these men out to sea? Why not rest, like they were originally intending to do? Why not rest and then carry on all of them together? Why immediately? Why right now? Well, Mark wants us to see something here. I think we can begin to see it here in verse 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Mark has gone to great lengths here to see that we fully understand who Jesus Christ truly is. We see here that Jesus needs to pray. Have you ever thought about that? Why? Why would Jesus need to pray? You know, we've spent a lot of our time so far here talking about His deity, right? He is over nature. He is over creation. He is over all things. He's over Satan and his minions. He's over everything because, in fact, He is God. That has been front, in, the, in front of us From the very beginning of Mark's account. Well he's also man. And it's an an important thing for us to know. That Jesus was fully God. Fully man. That this is the full revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The son of God. We need to see both. The Heidelberg Catechism shows us both on Lord's Day 6, and we're going to hold off right now, for now, on his deity. We've spoken of it previously, and we're going to be speaking of it again. But question 16 in Lord's Day 6 asks this, Why must he be a true and righteous man? The answer is, he must be a true man, because the justice of God, requires that the same human nature which has sinned should pay for sin. He must be man. He must be a righteous man because one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for the sin of others. For the gospel to truly be good news, Jesus needed to be man. You understand that, right? He needed to be man. Only man could atone for mankind. Jesus was a man. And we see his his humanness here in the fact that Jesus needed to pray. He needed to get alone and cry out to the Father. He was a man. As God, you understand, he had no need to pray. In his deity, he is always in perfect communion with the Father. But in his humanity, he prayed. That's at least part of the reason for his urgency here. Jesus too is weary, right? He's feeling the effects upon his body of all that they're doing. He's busy. He's weary. He too knows and he even sympathizes with the limitations of this fallen flesh. But there's another part here. A part that I think will help us to understand what we need so desperately to understand about the Christian life. And what just doesn't get touched on today. That's where I'd like to spend most of our time together this morning as we consider the grace of Almighty God and God's providence, especially in his hard providence, his difficult providence. God is certainly sovereign, right? He's over all things. There's none equal to him. Very few Christians will argue on that point. God is sovereign. He's revealed himself to us as sovereign however we go further than that in what we believe and confess we also believe and we state very clearly in our confessions that God is also a God of providence that he's not only over all things as creator but he is also holding all things in his hands he is upholding Providing for, indeed, he is sustaining and preserving all things according to his perfect and holy will and purpose. And I trust, beloved, you know what that means that he is truly over rain and drought, sickness and health, death and life, all things. Most Christians today do not want to think about the providence of God in that way. They love to consider his providence in the obvious blessings. He brings the needed rain. Praise God. He restores and gives health. Praise God. He gives life. Praise God. However, he cannot be over sickness and drought and disease and calamity and death. That would not be very kind of him, would it? That would not be very loving, but of course we're faced with a problem. Scripture says that he is over those things. And this is just one of the many places that we see it in the word of God. Beloved, do you recognize it here? Jesus is on the mountain to pray. And we know that at least some time has passed, right? It is now, according to Mark here, evening. The people are gone. He's went to a mountain. He's been praying. Some time has passed. And he looks out towards the sea. And he sees the disciples struggling away at the oars because of a a serious, menacing headwind that they are fighting on their way towards Bethsaida. And then Mark gives to us another one of those markers of time when he says that at about the fourth watch of night. So some time has passed, right? The people have left. That was a time. It's now the evening. The evening, Jesus sees them struggling. And then more time passes and we're at the fourth watch of the night. We're told he went out to them. Well, got to back up for a minute. What in the world is the fourth watch of the night? Well, I can tell you that the general consensus among most commentators that I read and that I looked at this past week, I can tell you what they say. They all seem to be in agreement that this is probably sometime around three o'clock in the morning. All right. So I want you to to get this firmly in your minds. Why does it matter that we know that this is now at three o'clock in the Well, when did Jesus notice their struggle? Mark tells you. Evening. Hours have passed. He has been up there on the mountain watching them struggle for hours. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Beloved, we need to see this. We need to get this. There is a purpose in their struggle. This struggle is part of the hard providence of Almighty God. Do you understand what a hard providence is? If you've been in Sunday school, we've talked about it many times. You probably know it in your own life. You find yourself in the middle of a struggle that just seems to never, ever end. You probably even begin to wonder where God is in all of it. You perhaps become so brazen as to begin to question the motives of Almighty God in ignoring your plight and allowing it in your life in the first place. By touching a nerve? Yeah. Your trial is so awful that you find that you, that, that you want to find a reason to just leave God and His providence out of your struggle altogether. I mean, God would never allow this. God knows I deserve better than this. Why is he just idly standing by while I struggle and weep and waste away in my pain? Beloved, have you ever been there? Perhaps you're there this morning. I can tell you I certainly have. And I'm not proud of it. But I have known firsthand this perilous struggle in my own life. I have stood and questioned God like Job, wondering what I did to discover any suffering or difficulty. Have you? If you have, or if you are even now, we must know what those struggles are all about. We need to know how to see it when it comes. And beloved, if you are a child of God, it will come. You will know something of this. Many of you know it right now. We need to know why. It's important for the way we live this life. We need to know why they come. Is there a purpose behind the hard providence of God in our lives. Well, first and foremost, we need to see that in our difficulties, God is teaching us of our need of him. That's first and foremost. He's driving us away from ourselves towards him. He is weaning us from our dependence upon ourselves and upon the world. That's part of it. And it certainly speaks to his grace that he does so. He could just leave us in our obstinate ignorance and never allow for us to see his grace in any of it. Never allow for us to find comfort amid all the trouble and the pain and the sorrow. But he does. We see his care for us. We see his mercy towards us. We see his love for us and that he teaches us to run to him in our trials. We we see our need and we rightly run to the only cure for what truly ails us. It's a grace to be sure. But I think there's even more to it. He's also molding us and making us into the image of his son. And I trust that we would all agree this morning that that can be a very painful process, right? He sanctifies us. He pushes, he he pokes, he probes, he shapes us into something that by our fallen natures, we are not. That's also a part of this, right? He is shaping us and that process can indeed be painful. However, beloved, I want to make the case this morning that God does this. He brings us to hard providence. He brings us to difficulties and to trials because he wants to reveal to us the brilliant glory of his grace. Do you notice here that Jesus waits? He does not immediately go out to them. He does not drop everything going on. He lets them develop and see their need. Because only then will they be able to recognize the glories of His grace. He could have easily spoken but a word. We've seen Him do it before. He could have spoken a word from the top of the mountain and that headwind would have ceased. We've seen him do it. He's over. He's over creation. He's been revealed as the Lord of creation. The wind and the waves obey him. But he does not do it. He waits. He waits from evening until the wee hours of the morning. And then he goes out, Mark says, in order to pass them by. He's going to do more than just deliver these people from their current situation. Just like he was going to do much more than just give his disciples physical rest. He's going to reveal more of himself to them. That language that he's going to pass them by, we've seen that before, right? You remember when Moses wanted to see God? God placed him in the cleft of the rock and he covered him there with his hand and just... His hind parts went by and and the glory from that alone made Moses' face reflect and shine the glory of Almighty God. So much so that he had to wear a veil. Moses needed revelation and God graciously gave it. He needed it. These disciples, they need it. They need to see Jesus. For who he is. They had missed the glory of the loaves in the wilderness. Jesus was revealing to them that he was and that he is all that they will ever need in this life. He's the one to bring peace and comfort and joy and they missed it. So in his unfathomable grace, he brings it to them again. They need to see his glory. So Jesus walks out to them on the water that they might see him for who he truly is, that his glory may pass by. The wind, the waves, the earth, the universe, it's all his. He spoke it into being and he holds it in his hands. It acts according to his perfect purpose and will. And the disciples miss it again. They're terrified. That's what Mark says. They too think that maybe they see Jesus and they too think he's a ghost. Their hearts, despite all that they had witnessed, were still hard. Their eyes were still blind. They were amazed, to be sure. But they were still not seeing him in faith, at least not yet. But their troubles... Their difficulties, their hard providences are at work driving them ever closer to the place where they will see their need. Do you understand? Beloved, this is more than a casual grace, right? Look at the way Jesus responds. And I hope, I hope that you're seeing that this is A tremendous encouragement to you this morning. Look at the way he responds. What does Jesus do when he sees the unbridled panic and fear in these men's eyes? Does he say, you blind fools and make the wind rise to a gale force in response to his holy displeasure? No. No, what does he do? What he does is more amazing still. And Mark goes back to a time marking word again. Look at that word. Immediately. Immediately upon what? Immediately upon seeing the fear in their faces, he spoke to them and he said, take heart. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. There's something here again in this language, right? What Jesus says is I am. Take heart. I am. Do not be afraid. You understand? This is God. This is the great I am who sent Moses to the Pharaoh. This is God. Beloved, do you see him? And his revelation is not in anger. It's in grace and mercy and love. He has compassion on them. And the wind dies down because the I am is here. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we must see the grace of God here. These disciples, they are not there yet. Their hearts are being softened, but they still have more to learn. Do you see the patience of God here? The patience of Jesus He immediately calms their fears. He travels with them, letting them know not only that they are not alone, but that they will never, ever be alone again. They have nothing to fear because they are His. And He is present. He is with them. He is for them. And He will be for eternity. Let me ask you something this morning, beloved. Are you in the storm? Perhaps you're struggling to worship this morning because you feel that in your life, God has somehow abandoned his post. That he's far away. That he's just left you up to chance and to the evil inclinations of the world that your struggle cannot possibly be from him unless, of course, it's just some harsh form of punishment from the hands of an angry God whose love runs hot and cold depending upon your record of right and wrong, depending on how much personal glory you create for him. Beloved, I want to be clear. That is a false revelation. That's not the way God's revealed himself here. That's not who God is. He is sovereign. He is a God of providence. And he is directing, upholding, and preserving all things according to his perfect purpose. And he is a God of mercy. (laughs) He is a God of love. And he loves you. Do you understand? Do you believe that? Look at the word of God. Do you see it? He moves heaven and earth to bring you into the fold. And you see that here. Do you see the grace of Jesus Christ in waiting while his disciples Struggled against the wind. He could have rescued them immediately, but He put them into their situation. He put them into their circumstance. His providence placed them immediately where they needed to be. He knows what they need, and He gives it. And then He waits. He waits while they struggle to understand the reality of their situation. They are not at the mercy of the weather. They are not at the mercy of the sea. They are not at the mercy of their current situation or circumstance. They are not outside of his control, but firmly in it. Do you see it this morning? And he finally rescues them and he comforts them. And he stays with them while they finish the journey. You cannot miss his love for them. So beloved, I'm asking you in the midst of your own troubles, in the midst of your own problems, in the midst of your own situations. Do you serve this God? Because this is the Lord who has revealed himself in the pages of his holy word. This is the revelation that Mark wants so desperately to have before us. Do you see him? If not, and you are even considering just staying in your despair this morning for whatever reason. I want to encourage you to spend some time thinking on his response to his terrified disciples who even seeing him walk on top of the water still do not get it. And I want you to take heart. To not be afraid. Because beloved, this Jesus is your Savior. So if you're tempted to stay in your despair, take heart. Do not be afraid because your Lord is not done with you yet. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. And he will graciously, lovingly see you through to the end. When we are gathered into the fold to stand in his glorious presence. Worshiping with the perfected saints of old in our own glorified perfected bodies, the lamb upon his throne for eternity. Take heart, dear fellow struggler. Your savior is waiting. And the promise of the word of God is he has you and he will continue to bring you through the storm to the other side into the glory of his presence. Amen.